Hello everyone, welcome to the podcast. My name is Rabbi Kranowski and I'm with the Denver Community Kolo. And in this episode, we're going to be discussing a fascinating topic, which is titled, Why is it that babies cannot speak? So we're going to go into the topic of speech in general, what it is and what it isn't. What's real speech? Where does it come from? Why do we speak? Why the defining element of the human being? Let's dive straight into this topic. So I'm going to start off with a comment of the Zohar HaKadosh, where the Holy Zohar writes a very, very cryptic statement, like always, that when we went into Egypt, when the Jewish nation went down to exile into Egypt, he writes in a spiritual sense, in a very esoteric way, what really was in, was in exile was the concept of speech. He writes that the Dibur was in Gaulis. The idea of talking was in exile. As long as the Jewish people were in exile in Mitzrayim and Egypt, they couldn't really speak. That's what really was in exile. We didn't have the ability to communicate to speak. Now, of course, we know that they were talking. There's no question about it. That they were talking over there. We're not going to think that the Zohar is coming to tell us that they didn't know how to talk in Egypt. So he's obviously telling us something deeper about speech. And whatever that depth of speech really is, whatever that concept of speech which he's referring to is, Apparently that they didn't have in Egypt. And that's what was in exile. When we got out of Mitzrayim, when we came out of this exile of Egypt, we got the power of speech. And we have to understand what on earth does this mean? What is speech all about? Why couldn't they do it in Egypt? And what changed when they came out, when they were redeemed from Mitzrayim? So that's number one. The other thing we find in the Torah regarding speech, another strange thing is, that Moshe Rabbeinu, our leader, Moshe, one of the greatest people that ever lived. Torah writes about him, he was the most humble of all people. He merited to reach heights in Torah that almost no one else ever reached. Basically, he was an angel. He merited to go up to heaven 40 days, 40 nights, without sleeping, without eating, drinking. He was basically like an angel down here on earth. But the Torah writes that he had one deficiency. And that is, he wasn't a good speaker. He was what you call a kavad pair. He had a heavy speech. He had a speech deficiency. Speech wasn't clear. He hadn't, didn't have the ability to communicate in a way that he would have liked to. And the morale questions, and he says, how could it be that somebody who was so perfect, somebody who was so elevated, so high, he had almost everything, he couldn't speak? How could the Torah have made our lead emotion? He's going to lead us out of Mitzrayim, take us through the desert, all the way until we get to Eretz Yisrael, even though he didn't go in himself. How could it be that he had such a big defect? He couldn't communicate. He didn't have the clarity of speech to be able to communicate his ideas to the people. How could it be that Hashem created Moshe with such a deficiency, specifically in the power of his speech? So we have two comments. One from the Zohar that says that speech went through exile in Egypt and became redeemed when we came out. And then we have Moshe, our leader Moshe, the greatest person, who just was a kvarpeh. He had a speech deficiency. How could it be? Why is it like that? We have to go into the topic of speech and what it is. And when we do this, we'll try and understand a little bit better and come back to these two two questions that we mentioned. So in order to go into this topic, the Maharal is the one who really opens this up in a Sefer Gevuris Hashem, chapter 28, which is mainly based on talking about the events of Mitzrayim, coming out of Mitzrayim, the Haggadah, the Sedanite. And he's, he opens up this topic in chapter 28 of his Sefer Gevura Hashem. And he quotes a Gemara and Nida, where the Talmud has a whole discussion over there about the status of a child in the mother's womb. 
And the Talmud goes on to write very, very interesting things about what's going on and what the child looks like in the womb. And we're just going to read a few lines over here. The Talmud writes, What is a child compared to in the mother's womb? It says the, the position of the organs and the limbs and where everything is. And it writes, V'ner doluk lal roshe. A lamp is lit for this unborn child above his head. And he uses this lamp. Sofa umabe misofa olamad sofa. With this light, with this lamp that's on top of the head, he peers out and he's able to see from one end of the world to the other. The Gemara quotes a verse. The Gemara says, don't be astonished by this. How could it be that the child in the mother's womb could see from one end of the world to the other? The Gemara says, don't be so astounded by this because you can have somebody that's sleeping and he's able to see in his dream events that are going on in a different country. It's as if he sees it. How could he see that? So you see that it's possible for the human being with his imagination, with his mind, to see things that are going on in a different place. And that's what's going on when the child is in the mother's womb. The Gemara continues and the Gemara says, There are no days. You want to know the best days of a person's experiences on earth? It's those days when the child is in the mother's womb. Those are the best days of the child's life. There's nothing better than those days. The Gemara continues and says, There's an angel that teaches the, this child in the womb the entire Torah. Every child in his mother's womb knows the entire Torah taught to it by an angel. And all this comes to an abrupt end. And the Gemara says, As soon as the child enters into the air of the world, an angel comes along with such royal piv and strikes him on his mouth. And in one instant, that strike he caused them to forget the entire Torah. So we have a picture over here that the Gemara is painting. Very, very hard to understand. That the child in the mother's womb is in this amazing place. He has a lamp on top of his head. He can see from one end of the world to the other. It's the best days of the child's life. He knows the entire Torah. And suddenly he's born. This angel comes along and hits him on his mouth. Suddenly this lamp is gone. The Torah is forgotten. He can't see anymore from one end of the world to the other. What's going on over here? What is this Gemara trying to tell us? What's the depth and the understanding of the child in the mother's womb? And what changes when the child comes out into the air of the world? So the morale goes on to say, and he explains this topic. But in order to understand this properly, we have to first preface by saying, there are three levels of things that we do down here in this world as human beings. And they can be split into three levels. One of them we're going to call machshava, which is the thought of the person. The other one is called dibur, which is speech. And the third one is called ma'asa, which is action. Thoughts, speech, and action. These three things. We start off with a concept. When somebody, the first thing that we do, we think about something. We have an idea in our head. It's at the level of the thought. We haven't spoken about it yet. We haven't done anything about it. We've thought about it. The concept is is percolating in our brain. We're thinking about the idea. We think about how to do it, how it's going to look. It's still very much in an elementary place, but it's very high. It hasn't come down into this world. It's at the level of our thoughts. Then we bring it down a little bit more. and We start talking. We have speech. We talk about it, what it's going to look like. We start to discuss it with other people. And that's the level of speech where it's coming down into this world slowly, it's already been spoken into the world. And then we have the bottom level, which we would call Maisa, which is action, where we actually do it. 
So we could think of the concept of building a house, we could talk about building the house, and then we can actually build it. Which one of those three is the most spiritual? Which one of them is the most elevated? The thought, of course, is at its most elevated state. When the concept is still at the machshava level, it's at its most elevated state. On the other hand, it hasn't come into the world at all. When I'm speaking about it, I'm already bringing it down. I'm already putting it into words and formulating sentences, how this thing is going to look, what my idea is. I'm limiting it because I'm talking about it. And then when I actually do it, it is what it is. It's an action. It's done. It's created. Once the house is built, it is what it is. It's not going to go any further than that. But on the other hand, it's down here in this world. So it starts off very high, very elevated at thought. Then it goes down to like a mid-level of speech, and then it goes all the way down into the concept of action where we actually do things down here in this world. And the morale explains that if we understand it like this, that it goes from thought to speech to action, then the purpose of speech, and what speech really is, is that my speech is my way of expressing my deepest thoughts into the world. What speech is, speech doesn't just mean that I just say, hi, how are you, what's doing, and we have a conversation with our friends. That may be talking, but it's not really what the Torah is referring to. When we say this thing called Dibur, when we talk about speech, real speech is that I'm going to my deepest machshava, I'm going to my highest and most elevated and spiritual thoughts, and I'm bringing them down into the world to the point that I could actually express them to somebody else. By doing that, I've limited it, because I've had to put, make a sentence. I've had to formulate it and limit it into words. But I've brought it into the world. And when I do that, I have this unique ability to express my thoughts into this world down here until eventually they're going to turn into an action. But the level of Dibur is to bring down and express my inner inner thoughts, who I am, my essence, that's real speech, express into the world through my speech. And the morale explains that what causes us to speak is not the body alone, and it's not the soul alone. The soul can't speak and the body can't speak. But when the body and the soul, when the guf and the neshama, when they come together and they're properly cemented together and they're interacting with each other, my seichel, my neshama is responsible for my machshava, it's responsible for my thought. And because it's together with the body, when they come together in a good way, my body, my mouth is now able to express with speech things that my neshama is really thinking. So speech doesn't come from the body, it doesn't come from the soul, it comes from both of them coming together. It's a marriage between body and soul. It's a marriage, you can call it, between the seichel, the intellect of the person, and the body of the person. And when they come together in a very strong way, then the body is able to express into this physical world things that are coming from a deep place from the neshama. Neshama and guf, when they come together, that's when we speak. And that's why the famous Targum, translates in the beginning of Bereshus when it says that man became a living being the Targum Unkelis over there translates it that man became a talking being because when God blew the Neshama into this earth this form this physical human being when he did that now there's a Neshama there's a soul together with a body now we could speak and that's who we are we are unique that we could express deep things, lofty things, elevated things, spiritual things. We could express them through the marriage of body and soul coming together. We could express them and bring them down into this world and elevate the entire world in the process. Says the Maharal, 
when the child is in the mother's womb, at that point, he's so elevated, he's so spiritual, he hasn't yet come into the world. He doesn't yet know how to speak. The only thing he has at that point is his machshav, is his thoughts. He's actually at a most, the child in the mother's womb is in such an elevated place. Because the child, at that point, only has his thoughts. And when we're at the level of machshava, we're not limited to anything. I could think about anything. I could reach anywhere with my thoughts. I'm not limited to time, to space. There's no limitations. And that's why when the child is in the mother's womb, it can see from one end of the world to the other. Because it's at the level of machshava. The child can't speak over there. There's no noise. There's no expression into the world because the child isn't yet in the world. But the child is at an elevated level of machshava. And that's why there's a lamp on top of his head. He can see from one end of the world to the other. As soon as the child comes into the world, the angel comes and hits it on its mouth. And the maral says, classically, the way he understands all these gemaras, is that when it says that the angel hits it on its mouth, it doesn't mean physically there's an angel that comes and bangs us. It means that the very act of being born into the world is what brings us down to the level that we forget all the Torah that we learn in the mother's womb. And he explains that the Torah that we knew in the mother's womb is because we had no limitations over there. We were so elevated. It was the best days of our lives. We only had our thoughts and we were unfettered. We can go wherever we want. We could go from one end of the world to the other. You could see from one end of Torah to the other. There was nothing stopping us because it was just our neshama talking. And our neshama knows the whole Torah. And our neshama is a lamp. And our neshama could light up from one end of the world to the other. But the moment we come into this world, where suddenly now there's a body and a soul which are coming together in a very strong way. That very act of being born makes us forget Torah. Because how am I going to put these two worlds together? How am I going to put my thoughts, my most lofty thoughts, how am I going to express these things into the world? They're too big, they're too lofty. You ask the child to start connecting the Torah in a physical way. He says, I can't do that. The Torah is too big. The Torah is infinite. The Torah is the type of thing that I knew in the womb. But once I'm in the world and you want me to say words to start limiting it and explaining and expressing something, it can't do that. And that makes it forget the Torah because it can't express the Torah in the world. The Maral writes in a place something incredible. He says, you want to know why is it that a child can't talk? He says, there's nothing missing with the ability for the child to talk. It has all the kalim, all the vessels, all the things it needs. It's all set up. For it to be able to talk. So why is it that this baby's not talking? And he explains because speech comes from a perfect marriage between our intellect, our deepest thoughts, and the body. And he says when the child is young, it hasn't yet grasped how to connect and express something so high into a world which is so small and so limited. It doesn't talk, the morale says, because it has nothing to say. If you ask a child, obviously you can't do this because they're too young. But the reason why they're not talking is because they haven't grasped a concept in a way that they could actually say it. And as they start getting older, they start to grasp certain concepts in a way that they find that they have an ability to express them. And they're going to start off with very simple words. And the reason why they start off with saying, Daddy, Tati, Abba, Ima, whatever you want to call it, the reason why they talk about their parents is because that's a concept that they're able to express into the world. They're starting to figure out a way how to express a concept in their head in a physical way into this world. And as they get older, they figure out how to express things in a better and a better way. But the child isn't talking at the beginning 
Not because it can't. It's because it has nothing to say. It doesn't know how to express something so vague, something so big, something infinite into such a finite world. You want to know why Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't talk? Why did Moshe Rabbeinu have a speech deficiency? It's unbelievable. It's nothing to do with the fact that he had a deficiency. It's just the opposite. He was so great. He was so lofty. He was living in the world of Machshava. His thoughts of Torah were so unlimited that he simply didn't have the perfect ability to express that with a speech. As soon as he opened his mouth to say a sentence, it became he was limiting in it. And that's not what it is. It's much bigger than that. So he couldn't say it properly. To communicate effectively, we have to be able to limit the thing in order to be able to express it. But if in my mind the concept is so big, how am I going to express it? So it's not a question that why is it that Moshe was so great and he couldn't talk properly. That's the answer. It's exactly because he was so great. That's why he couldn't express it properly. Because how am I supposed to express it into the world? You want me to say this? I can't say this. It's much bigger than that. The say over that the great Kabbalist, the Arizal, this is regarding writing, not regarding speech. But the, the Arizal himself never wrote anything, as far as we know. Everything that we have in writing from the Arizal all comes from his disciple, Reb Chaim Vital, and others. But he didn't write himself. And I asked him one, why don't you write down your unbelievable esoteric concepts that you reveal to the world? Why don't you write them? And he responded. He says, every time I sit down to write, he says just that the floodgates open and I just can't write. Because what am I going to write? It's this, but it's not this. It's much bigger than that. And he says, things are just too big. For me to have the ability to write them in a sentence which is saying that it's this and nothing else. I've limited it in a way that I can't do. The bigger the person is, in a way, he can't talk so much. The people that talk a lot is because they're dealing with very finite concepts. So of course if it's finite you could express it with your mouth. But that's not really what speech is. What speech is... What it should be is an expression of my highest and most loftiest thoughts. And if that's the case, there should be a certain element of difficulty in expressing them. Anybody who's listened to a deep thinker talking knows, and you can feel in their voice, and I heard this so much from my teacher of Moshe Shapiro, there was a certain pain in his voice as he was talking. There was a certain sadness. And you felt like it was coming from his great head being in such a high place, being in such a lofty place, and there was a pain in him being forced to limit it and say that it's this, this sentence. And he, there was so much pausing and there was so much thinking as he was talking because he was thinking, how should I express something so big into this world with my speech? That's really what speech has to be. Real speech has got to be expression of my deepest things into this world. That's really what deeper is. And that's why Moshe couldn't speak because he was so big. He was too high to be able to bring it down into something so low. Now the Medrash writes, and Parshish Devarim, something incredible. The Medrash writes, these are the words, said the Medrash, that when the Torah was given, Moshe became healed from a speech impediment. He was suddenly able to speak. All, the whole thing that he couldn't speak properly was all until the giving of the Torah. But once the Torah was given, his speech was healed. Suddenly, he's able to talk properly. 
Why is it that the Torah healed, healed the speech? And this they explain is exactly the point that we've been saying all along. Because Torah is this unbelievable thing. Torah is the loftiest thing that we have in the world. It's the divine names of God. All the secrets, everything that we could ever think of is all in the Torah. But it's written in a finite form with an ability for us to talk it and explain it and go deeper and uncover bigger and bigger and deeper layers in it. And the gift that we got with the Torah is we got the gift of speech. We were given an ability to talk words of Torah down here in this world. When we talk words of Torah, we're talking the highest concepts with our speech and we're expressing them and bringing them down here into this world. Moshe couldn't speak on his own. His concepts were so big he couldn't express them and communicate to the people properly. The people didn't understand what he was saying. He was in a different world than them. But when the Torah was given, the Madras writes that the Torah, it heals the tongue. The Torah is the ultimate healer of speech. Because when we have Torah, we now, and even Moshe Rabbeinu was now able to say words of Torah. We were given a gift that we could discuss together words of Torah. We could be discussing the most lofty concepts which really belong in the world of thought, in the world of Mahshava, but we have words. We were given words that we could talk, that we could say, and we could go over them and start to uncover the meaning of these words. Because these words are coming from a deeper place than this world. They're coming from up there, coming from the deepest source. But the Torah gave us the ability to speak. Because now we have the ability to say words that come from somewhere high, and we can express them down here into this world. When the Jews were in Egypt, before they received the Torah, when they were in Mitzrayim, they were in a place of such impurity, they were surrounded with the Egyptian culture, which was so immoral and so impure, that the speech itself was in exile. What it means that speech is in exile means that they had no ability to express into this world, this impure, this immoral world of Egypt, the true thoughts. Because it was too big and it just didn't fit. How am I going sh- to bring that into this world? This world is so against everything who I am. I have a soul, I have an ashama, it's a piece of God, so to speak. And my thoughts are so big, they're going so far, they're so infinite. How am I going to speak? Of course they could talk. Of course they had conversations with each other. Of course they spoke to the Mitzrayim, to the Egyptians. But that's not really what we're talking about by speech. When the Zohar writes that the Dibur was in Gala, speech was in exile, means that there was no ability to express anything lofty down here into this Egyptian world. Until they were redeemed from Egypt, and they went to Harsinai and Mount Sinai, they received the Torah. And now they got the gift of speech. Because now... We have this ability, this unique ability, like the Targum writes, this is the defining essence of who we are, to bring big things into this world. We could talk words of Torah, we could have discussions of Torah. We could bring Torah into this world and elevate this world in the process. The way we elevate the world through Torah is because Torah is a lofty concept that we have the ability to express down here into this world. If we take this a level deeper, the Sefer Yitzirah, the book of creation, which is attributed all the way back to Avram Avinu, our forefather Avram, he talks a lot about the correlation between the two covenants that we have in our body. And he calls them the bris hama'or and the bris halashin. So we have the organ, the bris mila, circumcision, reproductive organ, and then we have what he calls the covenant of the speech, of the tongue. 
And he goes on to explain, and the Kabbalists talk about this a lot, how there are two openings in the body. There are two places in the body where things come out. And they are both perfectly aligned to the middle of the body. The mouth is the opening on the head, which is the higher element of the body, and that's where we talk. And then when you go further down, you have the organ, the reproductive organ, the bris mila, circumcision, where we could also we could produce, we could create, we could create children over there. And that's another opening where things come in. And the Seviyat Sira and many others explain, and the Svasamas quotes this many, many times, that these two things are really the same thing. The mouth and the reproductive organ is really one thing. Both of them have the ability to express life into this world. Just like we can create a child with that organ, we could create spiritual elevation to this world by using our mouth to express life into this world. What that means is when we take Torah, we take words of Torah and we express it into the world. We live a life of Torah. We follow what the Torah tells us to do. We follow the guidelines. We talk it. We discuss it. We uncover it. Our mouths are healed because now we could produce. We could reproduce. We could build. We could build worlds down here. Spiritual worlds because we have the Torah. That's the reproductive organ called the mouth. And we could do it down there and we could create a child. But both of them, what they're doing is expression of life into this world. How do we express life into this world when we draw it down from the highest place? If we're just talking and it's coming from the mouth itself, that's not bringing life into the world. When the mouth is expressing what the thoughts, the deep thoughts are saying, that's reproducing. That's bringing the world to a higher place. That's called that speech has come out of exile. That's called that the Torah has the ability to heal our speech. And if we hear all this in this light, we understand a little bit why is it that lush and horror, bad speech, saying bad things with our mouth is so bad. Our sages say so many, so many things about the negativity of using our mouth for the bad thing. And if we understand that in this light, we understand that the defining essence of the human being is his speech. And the purpose and what real speech is, is to express godliness into the world, express Torah into the world, express elevation in the world. And if we take that mouth and we use it for just the opposite, it's not just we did a wrong thing. We've gone against the purpose of creation. We're taking a mouth that could bring life into the world. And we're using that mouth to bring destruction to the world. It's just the opposite of the purpose of creation. And if you want to spin it in a certain way, you could say that when we say speech which is bad, which is wrong, it's not really speech. Because it's not what Dibur in the Torah means. It's not what speech is. Speech is bringing them big things into the world. Like we mentioned before, when we listen to somebody who's a deep thinker, who has a lot of Torah in his head, and we hear this, this person speak, what's happening to us is that this person is drawing them, drawing us, the listeners, into their deep world of machshava, into their thoughts. The reason why we're so drawn to certain people when we hear them talk is because we hear their words are coming from a deep place. And their words are actually drawing us into their world. When I used to listen, and I still do, to Rav Moshe Shapiro, at the end of the class, I could be sitting, you know, we could be listening for an hour, but at the end of it, we were in a different world. It wasn't so much what he said. It was the words he used that drew us into his thoughts. And we came out of there, and we looked at the world differently. It's a different world now. Because his speech was coming from his thoughts. And when his speech was coming from there, 
we were drawn back into his world. And that's what real speech has to be. When good friends talk to each other and have good conversation, and they're trying to express certain things to each other, what's happening is, is that the other person is being drawn into the other person's thoughts, into his mind, into his brains, to his intellect. And that's the way we grow. That's the way we get loftier. That's the way we get higher. So it's all about the speech. The speech will express lofty things in the world, and then the person that hears that speech will automatically get drawn back into the lofty world of the listener who he's talking to. So to summarize what we spoke about, we started off with a question of what does it mean that the speech was in exile in Mitzrayim? We asked another question, why is it that Moshe couldn't speak? Why did he have a, sp- a speech impediment? We explained based on the words of the Gemara and Nida that when the child is in the mother's womb, it knows the entire Torah. When the child comes out, it forgets it. Says the morale, the concept is we have three things, thought, speech, and action. Speech is to express the thought into the world. When the child's in the mother's womb, it only has thought, it can't speak. When the child comes out, now there's speech, but the child can't yet talk because it doesn't yet know how to bridge these two worlds and express such infinite concepts into the world. As the child gets older, it learns how to do that. Moshe was so high, he couldn't express himself properly. When we're in Egypt, we couldn't express ourselves properly. But all this changed when we received the Torah because Torah is this ultimate bridge which allows us to express the most godly, elevated things down here into this world. When we do that, that's who we are. We reproduce. We're bringing godliness. We're bringing life. We're breathing life into the world. And we hope that our listeners who are listening to our speech are drawn back into our lofty world. And when we do that, we're going to merit to fill this entire world with godliness until this entire world will be filled with the Spirit of Hashem, which will ultimately be the signal and the time for the arrival of the Mashiach.